My name is Amanda Robar, and I am here to share with you my journey with epilepsy. When I came into this world, what I will now describe as a very chaotic and ever-changing world, things seemed fine. My parents were thrilled, my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, they were so excited to welcome me here. And my parents were just overjoyed. I was the first child. Uh, They had had trouble having children and were ready to adopt. And then all of a sudden, here came me. That's what I'll say. And they were over the moon. When I was 11 hours old, my mother noticed that something was off. My color started to change and I started to turn gray. She called the nurse over and the nurse said to her, oh, you know, it might be the lighting, let me see. And she took me from my mother's arms, walked out into the hallway and then ran with me, just ran down the hallway and That's probably very freaky for parents because I'm not a parent. I have plenty of cousins, plenty of aunts, uncles, uh, second cousins, all that jazz. But for a first-time parent, that's got to be terrifying. And according to my parents, yes, it was. It's awful. I started to convulse. And they could not get the convulsions under control. I was born in Richmond Hill, Ontario. And they sent me to the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. I stayed there for the first two weeks of my life. And they tried to figure out what was going on. Why was this infant just going in and out of convulsions. She didn't have a fever. Nothing seemed to be wrong until they noticed that my blood sugar and calcium levels had plummeted to zero. So for me, that is how my seizures began. Blood sugar and calcium, I didn't have any. A nurse gave me some sugar water at one point and the seizures seemed to subside and they seemed to stop. And eventually I was able to go home. But two weeks, that's a long time for first time parents. And I know parents that have had their children and sick kids for a lot longer than that. But any parent will feel like having their children at sick children's is a very long time. And it was not going to be my first visit to sick kids. Not by a long shot. As I started to grow, as all babies do, my parents, especially my mom, and sometimes my aunt, 
noticed that occasionally I would jerk in my car seat. And sometimes they were bigger jerks and sometimes they were smaller jerks. But they didn't quite know what to do about it because the jerking would stop on its own. They didn't need to call an ambulance. There was no medication I was taking. Things seemed to just go away, come and go, come and go. And that was just how life was. That was until just shy of my fourth birthday. So in February, I'm a March baby. In February, I went into convulsions again. And I was brought by ambulance to a hospital. And I went in and out of seizures again. And they said, she has epilepsy. What is epilepsy? That is a huge question that my parents had. And where do you go for assistance? Who do you turn to? This child is is just turning four. And what do we do for her? That was the big question. And that's when I was sent back to sick kids to find out the answers and I was put on phenobarb and tegretol you name it back about 35 36 years ago the medications were limited. And even as I grew up, they were still kind of limited. And I would go to sick kids and I've, I would have my appointments and life would go on. I would have seizures. Sometimes I would miss school because of them. I would miss school because of doctor's appointments down in the city. It was just how life was for me. And life can sometimes really suck. When I was in school, I got bullied a lot. It was mostly just name-calling, no physical, anything. But one student would lead a bunch of others, as kids do. And because I was slower in school, because of my seizures, I've never had seizures under control in my life. I don't have tonic-clonic anymore, so I'm not falling to the ground. But when I was a kid, that was the case. Surgery wasn't really a thing. 
per se. It wasn't mentioned. We didn't have the VNS and the RNS. And if we did have the VNS, it was never recommended. Um, and they kind of said, well, the seizures are coming from everywhere. We can't pinpoint one or two particular focal points. And that's what happens when you have tonic-clonic seizures. They start in one spot and they just, they spread. Boom. It's a lightning storm inside your brain. And unless you can catch it right away, it just carries on. And for me, it would just carry on. So... By the time grade six ended, I had had enough. I didn't want to go to school. And the teachers and the principal, no one was very helpful. Um, they said because of who the student was, they didn't want to cause a fuss. And we were saying, listen, it's not just one student. It is a whole group of students, and they didn't seem to care. So I wound up transferring schools, and it was not an easy task for my parents, but it happened. And for me, I, I was quite timid. I didn't have a lot of friends. I had, you know, the odd friend. But I never really kept in touch with people. And, you know, if I saw them later on in life, it was more like, a, oh, hi, type of thing. But I didn't really go to a ton of sleepovers. And I never went out and partied growing up. Uh, I never got the chance to stay on campus for college, life really didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. So after transferring schools, after when I was in uh, now grade seven, the bullies decided to pick on my sibling. And we're only 18 months apart. So she wound up transferring schools as well because bullying, that's not cool. Not at all. doesn't matter if you have a disability or not. Bullying is just cruel. And it's hurtful and it doesn't matter whether it comes just verbally, physically, both whether it's taking something from someone else and, and teasing them and tossing it to someone else, it's just not right. So for me, just even going to the school where my mother taught grade one and sometimes kindergarten, they like to bounce teachers around to different places, but she was always teaching elementary, it seemed. My my sister and I, you know, we would gra we graduated. 
and off I went to uh, Dr. G.W. Williams. That was my high school. And, you know, I kind of loved high school, or at least I loved drama. I loved high school drama. It was my favorite course. I could have taken that over and over again, and I did. Um, but if I had my choice of, hey, you have two classes to take, what do you want to do? I probably would have said, oh, drama and special ed English. Those would have been my, my top choices. And I know you probably think, why special ed? Well, it was very helpful for me. And some students are embarrassed by having to take special ed. But I had an IEP, so an Individualized Education Plan. And that gave me extra time for tests and assistance with things. If I needed a scribe, they were there. Although, in all honesty, that was not helpful for me. I couldn't necessarily read the scribe's writing. So uh, I used a computer instead. And that was great. But when you're young, it takes a bit to get used to. Not in this generation. No, kids can turn on a tablet at two years old and they can pick out their favorite show when they're three. And you don't have to do much, apparently. Um, you just hand them an electronic and they're happy. But not back about... 25, 30 years. That was not the case. You were still getting used to keyboards. Now we don't necessarily always have keyboards. So, this is the giant leap that we've made in, like, several years. Several, several years, decades. So, I took Mario Teaches Typing Okay, if you are in your 30s, early 40s, you know the typing program I'm talking about, excuse me, and a couple of others, and finding letters on the keyboard and all that fun jazz. So, you know, you get used to it, and you do your assignments there. But the teachers in the special ed class, they were helpful. And sometimes they would, you know, give me the odd nudge, like, you do need to, to finish your test kind of thing. And um, they were able to read it to me. And sometimes having something read verbally kind of helps tweak your mind a bit and say, oh, this is what I should be typing or writing down. So math has never been my strong point, so I never really took science after the grade nine section. I now uh, hear that curriculum has completely changed pretty much. Uh, 
and Khrushchev is coming back. So some things are going full circle. Some things are gone completely. You really never know what's going to be going on in the schools anymore these days. But back when I was a kid, it was, oh, geez, we can't even read her cursive. And that's okay. So I was given the computer to do my assignments. And after that, you know, I, in high school, I, I did struggle. My seizures became difficult to control in a, in a different way. I was having complex partial, so, and it was, they were not safe, complex partial. I would wander and I would pick things up and throw them. I would slam cupboard doors and I would have absolutely zero recollection of doing any of that. I could wind up wandering back to my seat or wind up wandering and sitting on the stairs, have no idea where I got where I was. And basically I, I was a safety hazard to other kids. And my parents had to walk my teachers through how to deal with my complex partial seizures and obviously let the office know and everything like that. And, you know, that becomes embarrassing. But it was also my life and it just became more and more frustrating and eventually I, I was leaning towards brain surgery and I was, I was done. They kept saying to me at Sick Kids, well, we could try upping the medication or we could try changing the medication. And then eventually it was, we don't have any more medications for her to try. And that's where I kind of was beating my head against the brick wall at this point. Not literally, but I was very angry. I was angry at the world. And I was almost 18 and I was saying, like, yes, mom, yes, dad. I want to do the brain surgery. And because I was getting close to the age where I could say yes, um, they, they went along with it. They, but first they said, are you sure? And I said, I'm out of options. Yes, I am sure. I was also terrified. I won't lie. I was also terrified. But I was more angry at the world that there was no more options. There, there was nothing else out there for me. And there still, to this day, is no cure for epilepsy. And that in itself is, is kind of frustrating because 
yeah, there are a bunch of medications out there, but when you have tried two medications, that's when you are deemed medication resistant. So that means basically no matter what you try, you will not have your seizures under control just by using medication. You will need alternative methods in order to keep your seizures under control, or at least decently controlled. And I had already gone through like 16 medications. Um, so I knew that I didn't have any more options. So I went through all the testing starting at 17 and everything because it takes a good year, year and a half to have all the data. I would do the um, stay in hospital EEGs. I, we don't have the option, or at least we didn't have the option of home EEGs back then. Um, they do in the States, but not up here in Canada. So I just, I carried on. I did school. I would come and I would go through the tests. And finally, because I was getting... Like I said, I was 17 and they're just doing the tests now. So eventually I was 18 and I had brain surgery at SickKids. It did not go as planned. Usually they go in, they get the affected area, the gray matter, which is considered dead, which not just considered, it is dead brain, basically. And they went as far as they could. And they said to my parents, we can't go any further without making her completely blind. So I already knew in advance that my vision would be affected. They had already told me that. And my vision was already affected. I'd lost sight from having so many seizures that I, peripheral vision, I should emphasize that, so the side where you see from the sides, um, I knew I was going to lose some more of that. And to me, that was not the hugest thing in the world. It was big, but I wanted the seizures gone. I wanted them under control, and they said we won't be able to get everything, but we will do our best. And doing your best is absolutely better than doing nothing. That was how I was thinking. And my parents would ask, are you sure? Because... I could see the terror in their eyes. I could see it on their face. And my sibling was very supportive. And But she was also asking, are you sure you want to do this? And I've always been very stubborn. 
Uh, and I don't know whether that's genetics or my name, uh, because Amanda also has the meaning of stubborn in it, but I, I said, yes, I am done. I have no more options. I've hit another brick wall. There is nothing else available to me. And they said, okay. And so I went ahead with the surgery. And my family has a bleeding disorder in it. So they gave me a medication called DDAVP. Only I was the first one to have it in my family. And it was something that doctors don't usually deal with. They didn't know much about it. And no one else in my family had ever had to have it during a surgery before because surgeries weren't really happening in my family at that time. So they did not know not to give me very much water. So my brain wound up swelling during the surgery or post-surgery, I should say. And they had to stop, wrap my head up, and wait for the swelling to go down. But due to the swelling, my eyes swelled shut. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I could hear. Oh, I could hear. And because I could hear, that was only more motivation to get better. Because they said to my parents and other family, she may not talk properly again. She may not walk properly again. She may not write. She may not whatever. She may not. And hearing that, I went, yeah, I will. You don't be telling my family that I won't be doing things. And I worked really hard in, in rehab. And let me tell you, it sucked. Rehab is horrible. And I worked so hard so that I could get out of there. <laughs> and because I was at a children's hospital when I had my surgery done, I kind of was whisked off from rehab to an adult hospital. And that was very angering for me because I wasn't able to properly follow up with 
my surgeons and my doctors, I wasn't able to give a final goodbye to them because they had been there since I was four years old. So not being able to say goodbye and transition to an adult hospital properly was just angering and terrifying and I didn't know who my doctor was going to be and I wound up switching doctors because I didn't like the doctor I had um the doctor I I had when I first got to the adult hospital shrugged his shoulders and and said I don't know how I can help you that was it there was no let's look at your chart there was no let's review what you've had and let's see what we have available now there was really none of that. It kind of glanced through my chart and I was like done with that doctor. And so was my, my mother. And it was like, no, we want someone else. We want another opinion here. And so I got it. And I was still kind of recovering from my surgery because it took a couple of years. No lies. Rehab, as I said, it sucked. It was tough, but I really worked um, to get back. And switching doctors was also very interesting. I'm going to tell you that. I don't think that neurologists that deal with people with epilepsy have a good idea of what epilepsy is in their patient's life. And I say that because my neurologist said, I, I'm not sure what to do. And I broke down into tears that day. And it was just, you know, one of my normal visits to the neurologist. And we had made notes. We always make notes when we're going there. Except recently, the last couple of years, because things have just been going the way they always go, which has been no change, pretty much, pretty much no change. So when I broke down, my neurologist didn't know what to do. He seemed stunned and surprised and he called the nurse in and asked her to take me out and go into another room. So... As my, my mother said, we don't believe that the neurologists are necessarily used to people being able to stand up for themselves and talk and say what they think might be a good idea. Someone who has done research and things like that. Because I see a lot of people come in with 
support workers or family members who need those people to speak for them. And I don't always need that. I did in the past, but not so much anymore. So for people to come in, the odd person to come in and say, I have a bunch of these ideas, the neurologist to say, we don't have that medication up here or we don't have that technology up here and the patient to break down is not something they're used to. I also think that the neurologists are not used to their patients talking back to them. So when you come with ideas to your neurologist and they try to shut it down right away, and you say, hey, I've done my research, and I think that this might actually work. And they try to shut it down automatically again, and you bring the facts to them, and then they have to give their full reason why it might not work. And then there are times where they bring an idea up, such as a a medication. And you've already looked at that medication, and you go, no. And they say, well, why not? And I say, because I've done my research, and that medication is a sister to Keppra, and I did not do well on Keppra whatsoever. And they say, well, yes, but it doesn't really have the same side effects as, as Keppra. And you go, okay, yeah, but it is a sister medication. And I have never done well with medications that are close together. Or I've never done well with generic medications. I always need, need name brand. And they say, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. And you say, no, and you stick to it and you say, I am not going on that medication. I've tried 17 medications. What you have me on now is working. What we might need to do is tweak the dose, maybe go up a little bit. And sometimes he's, you know, he or she is not used to that and says, you know, I'm not really comfortable going up anymore with the dosage. And you go, I understand that. But if you put me on phenobarb, I might become incredibly depressed. Oh, well, let's give it a try anyways, because they've already recommended phenobarb. And you go, I really don't think that's a good idea. And they do it anyways. And then you wind up very depressed, and they wonder why. So then they say, Okay, well, we'll take you off of it. And you're going in your head and to your family, why? Why didn't they just listen to me? I know my body. I know my brain. 
I know how things are going to react, how meds are going to make me feel. Why did they not just listen to me? So it's very, I will say, frustrating and interesting when you wind up in an adult hospital because you really have to fight for what you want and what you think is a good idea. And as you have probably noticed throughout this podcast, my voice has been changing. And that is because I have a VNS, vagus nerve stimulator. There you go. There's that change. And I said to my neurologist, I wanted to try it. And he said to me, I have had patients who have it and it's not very successful. I'm lucky if, you know, I have one or two successful patients. Now, I had been down to conferences, both in Toronto and in California, and I had looked at the VNS and I had looked at the RNS. And I had talked to the people that make the devices. And they themselves had said, okay, well, the RNS is not going to work because you have too many focal points, because you describe what your seizures are like and everything like that and what your neurologist has said and what you know of your seizures and your life. And I asked about the VNS, and they said that might work. And they also said that the VNS also helps with depression, which is something that epilepsy comes along with. Depression and epilepsy, they are a fun circle. It's not fun at all, but it is a nasty circle. And you have to learn ways of coping with it and... I'm on an antidepressant uh, as well as my anti-epileptic medications or AEDs. And it's, it's a hard balance, but, but you get there. And you have many different doctors. So um, you just have to roll with life. And so I I said to my neurologist, listen, I will be happy if it even helps with my depression. But please, let's try it. And he was reluctant and he was like, well, I, I think we should try more brain surgery. And I said, listen, I don't think I said that, but it was more like you need to understand We've already talked about this. The doctors at SickKids could not go any further without making me blind. They also could not go any further without affecting my small or large muscles. So you can't go into my brain anymore. And I already know, you know, other specialists know that the RNS and later on DBS... All of those that go into the brain, I can't have. So 
if nothing else, let's try something. Let's try the VNS. And so eventually, after maybe two years of me nagging, um, he finally said, okay, um, let's set you up with a specialist and they will have a look. And specialist looked over my stuff and was like, okay, you understand that your voice might change. You understand that you are going to be cut here, here, and basically two spots, right? So your the chest where we make the little pocket and up by the throat, and that's where the wire will go, and it will wrap around the vagus nerve. And you understand that if you don't like the VNS, we don't like to take it out. However, if for whatever reason we have to, we don't like to remove the wire because that can be a very complicated procedure and sometimes a little bit unsafe, but we can take out the VNS itself. And I said, yes, I've read that. I've talked to the people that make it. And I'm well aware, and I said, I've talked to people about for three years now. <laughs> and he said, okay. And he was still very reluctant. I'll be honest, he was still very reluctant. And I was pushy, because you have to push for what you want in life. And he finally said, okay, we'll set up an appointment and go from there. And we had another appointment. We met with someone else. We met with uh, the person that would be dealing with my VNS. And finally, yes, finally, I got it almost five years ago. So, I got it in 2018, uh, and yeah, it, it was a huge adjustment, it really was. Um, my voice changing, and it depended on what the setting was at at that point, it was harder to hear me, sometimes still is, <clears throat> excuse me. And sometimes makes me cough a little bit. But not so much at the setting I have right now. But it took about a year and a half to get the settings tweaked just right. And the last time I was in, they said, okay, battery will probably last about a year and a half before we have to change it over. And I was like, okay, because I know that the other VNS out there is an upgrade. It came out actually in the fall. I had mine put in in the winter. So I kind of just missed the window of the awesome upgrade 
of the VNS. But I'm kind of excited. People don't usually get super excited about surgery. I'm kind of excited that I'll just have to have it my the pocket opened up, then unplug the wire and put the new one in and stitch me up. And um my settings will remain the same. And I feel life will be good. Life's good now. It's very interesting uh, living with epilepsy. Frustrating, interesting, hard, uh, depressing at times. the unknown but for me i i kind of just say you never know the unknown is unknown so i can make pretty good guesses of when i will have a seizure i tend to have them when i'm watching tv during dinner time so screen related and um, timing related, late medication, lack of sleep. So there, there are a ton of things that I know that affect my, my seizures, affect my brain. I also know that the last, well, several years now, I guess, last several years, water, the reflection off the water has caused my seizures. So, um, that, that's, you know, can be frustrating a bit, but whatever. Uh, and I do believe going back to my childhood, when I would go down a water slide I would yell, my eyes! And that's because when I have a seizure, I go temporarily blind. And my parents knew right away, well, that means she's going to go into a seizure. And because I was a young kid back then, it probably meant she's also going to start convulsing. So jump in that water, get her out, and... Make sure everything's okay. Make sure she's breathing and all that fun stuff that parents panic about. So I noticed that when I would be at a a swimming pool with, with family and things like that, or at a public pool where there are lifeguards and stuff like that, that the reflection from the sunlight against the window onto the water's surface would put me into a seizure. And I also started noticing going under the water, putting my head under the water, and that's more recent, um, last 
few years, I say recent, but probably four or five years, um, I'm more likely to have a seizure if I go under the water, which, you know, really sucks. Um, when I was young, when I was a kid, and I would be swimming in my grandma's pool, um, I... I would pretend to be a mermaid and things like that, right? When you're young and you're using your when you're using your imagination and just floating on the water and being happy and stuff like that. So not being able to go under the water these days uh is is a bit tough. But I just kind of deal with it, you know? Um, If I'm surrounded by uh, people I know and and care about and all that jazz or lifeguards, I might take a very quick dip. I might get my, my hair wet, right? I might just go under, like, dip and come right back up. So... Knowing knowing triggers is super important. And I know what my triggers are. It's not going to stop me from watching television. Um, I, I have taken to not swimming. And, and yeah, I miss it. But I, I know that the safety is comes first. I know that they say taking a shower is safer than a bath. For me, these days, I'll say these days, because in the past that was not the case. These days, the shower has not been my friend. But the bath has. And if I notice that the bath is not, I have two things. I start to notice myself either starting to go blind or feel myself getting incredibly warm. So then I will drain the tub or... My service dog will. So my very first service dog that I had years and years and years ago, uh, Kramer, and he saved my life no less than 12 times. And you're probably wondering, why the heck was she not in the shower? Why was she in the tub? It's what I preferred. I was living at home with my parents and I just, it's something that I prefer. And, you know, that's fine. He was trained to pull it. My second dog, Kira, uh, she was trained to pull it. Didn't always like doing it. But um, 
we trained her to, to pull it and run to my mom because I tended to say mom um, or a very muffled kind of weird mom or I, I'm not 100% sure because my voice changes when I have a seizure and the dogs and people notice that. So that's a cue for anyone. And Kira would, would pull it and run to my mother, uh, assuming she was home. Otherwise, she would run to someone else, <laughs> uh, probably my father. So, and I am currently working with my new service dog, Cable, to pull the plug. Now, she right now winds up in the tub with me. She's short, um, tries really hard. I have lived on my own for <clears throat> the past almost five, six years, um, since December 2018, uh, the 15th. I remember that because it was winter when I moved into my apartment, but it was a beautiful day, December 15th, and you would think horrific snow, you would think cold, you would also think that you'd be moving in in the very beginning of the month, but for some odd reason, the unit was not ready, and I wound up moving in the middle of the month. And like I said, it was a beautiful day. A beautiful day to be moving in. If I had moved in any other day in December, it, it would not have been nice. So my family and I hit it really lucky. They helped me move in. I had a couple of my aunts, uncle, cousins, and my sister, my parents. And we got everything in, in that one day that I had things set up and, <clears throat> excuse me, and I've been a very happy camper since then. It took uh, Kira a little bit to get used to. Our unit is right beside the laundry room, so people come and go, come and go all the time. And now she is retired and living with my parents and their dog, Galaxy. We've had sleepovers before Cable came along and she was still living with me. And they are nothing but one big happy golden family. And they all came from the same person. So, I mean, who can blame them? They're cousins, sisters, you name it, and they're just happy to see each other. And Cable, uh, she grew up training in, in the country, 
So for the first month that she was with me, uh, July, she had to get used to town life. Excuse me. So that was very interesting for her. And she didn't really care about laundry room people. <laughs> so that was, that was awesome. It was just getting used to a bunch of cars and a bunch of people compared to just dogs. And, and just like all Goldens, you know, they all enjoy looking at the squirrels and, and the skunks. Yes, for some odd, bizarre reason, my girls have been interested in making friends with the skunks, and I always say no. So that's just, you know, a random side note. If you have a golden retriever and you wonder why they want to make friends with skunks, I don't know the answer, but it is something that they seem to want to do. Thankfully, none of them have, have ever been sprayed because I have them on a leash. Because when you live in an apartment building, the dogs have to be leashed. So that in itself is a bonus. They're not running out into a backyard unless they're at my parents' place. <laughs> so, I'm very lucky. I consider myself incredibly lucky. I might have epilepsy and I may suffer from depression. I might not consider myself having tons of friends around my age per se you know like I said earlier running into past schoolmates and maybe commenting on on Facebook uh, happy birthday or oh I'm sorry that happened uh, good luck things like that um, or where did you find that really cool shirt I don't really see them unless it's just a random run-in. I've never been able to drive, but that's completely fine with me. <clears throat> there are enough crazy drivers out there. Sorry, I'm laughing. My service dog is bumping the table. Um... Yeah, I, I have never been able to drive and people have said to me, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, like that must really suck. Well, no, actually it, it doesn't. Yeah, occasionally I might rely on a ride, but I typically walk everywhere. And if I'm not walking to a certain location, I might take the bus. But other than that, I mean, it's fine with me. It's both frightening being, I would say, a passenger in a car and a pedestrian. Because drivers don't look and they're either going to hit a car or they're going to hit me. 
So I have been bumped a few times, not going to lie. Um, one time I did report it, but the person had already gone. I was more ticked off than anything else because she was treating me like a bumper car. Like, seriously, when you bump something, you think you should stop, but no. Um, it was a couple of bumps, like four bumps, and I went around the side and I banged on the hood and glared at her and she was like, oh, I didn't see you. And I'm thinking, you hit me four times. I'm not a bumper car. If you want to play bumper cars, go to the bumper car section of, of one of those playgrounds or whatever, you know, carnival. Go there if you want to play bumper cars. Not on a human being. And I had someone else who, who bumped me and again, I slammed on the hood of their car. And again, that person said, oh, I didn't see you. I, I was, you know, wearing my, my blue coat and there were lights on me. Um, there were lights on me in the other area, other, other side of this. Oh my goodness. I can't tell you. It's just, it's a ridiculous thing out there. A lot of people should not have their licenses and do. But anyways, when people say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not. I get my exercise in. It's not the end of the world not to be able to drive. Um, people sometimes are like, oh, I'm sorry that you have epilepsy. Well, I've had it my whole life, so I don't know any different. And it's kind of like, thanks. Um, yeah, it's not fun, but I'm here volunteering. So, you know, I'm in my happy place. Please don't bring my happy place down. <laughs> Sometimes people will ask me questions about my service dog. Um... Sometimes I'm totally open to answering questions. And other times, I just want to get my shopping done and leave. So it really depends on the day. And everyone, I think, can understand this. Some people, the odd time, will think, that was rude. And sometimes I'm thinking, I'm sorry that you thought that was rude, but... I'm just trying to shop and get out. I don't want any interruptions in my day. I know that they're cute. I know that they're golden retrievers. But please, can you leave me alone? So, having a service dog is, is this weird catch-22. They are really great companions. They help when you're down, uh, they're there for you during your seizures or whatever disability you have, but people just want to go and hug and snuggle them and it's like, no, you can't. You're not allowed to pet. It says do not pet. It says in training. It says service dog. And sometimes you want to smack them. 
But, you know, that might just be me. Probably might just be me, but might not just be me. I don't know. So, life throws everyone out there curveballs. And you might not know if your curveball is going to be epilepsy because epilepsy can affect anyone at any age. So just because you don't have it now does not mean that you won't have it in the future. And I know um, that some people develop it, as I said, later in life, people who have had their licenses and their licenses get revoked, at least until their seizures are under control for at least six months sometimes, depends where you live. And they're devastated. And this is one reason why I'm kind of glad I don't have a license. Um... And I I never will be able to have one, even if my seizures are under control, because of the lack of peripheral vision. So, life changes for people when their seizures develop later in life. It becomes a whole new world. So, not that it isn't when you're a child and your parents are starting to learn about epilepsy and how to help you and the medications and everything out there. But I would definitely say it's harder when you are older because, like I said, I've known nothing different. So I just, you know, live my life one day at a time. Sometimes I'm exhausted. A lot of the time I'm exhausted recently. I don't know why so often recently, but it is what it is. I'm not working. I want to. Um, I know I wouldn't be able to do much just because of how my life goes. So instead of doing paid work, I started taking up volunteering, as I mentioned volunteering a couple minutes ago. And I do that at the theater, New Roads Performing Arts Theater. Um, Probably said that incorrectly. But anyway, it's it's in Newmarket, and it's about a 25, 30-minute walk from where I live. Usually someone picks me up and, and drives me, and I, I love it. I usually get to see some of the shows that they do. I 
in the past was doing like depending on the on the shows anywhere from three to five shows a month and they break for the summer and because cable will just be starting in the theater i i took her twice this summer just to see the theater get used to it one day they were doing some work in it so she got to see it when it was lit up and last time we were there we walked in and it was dark and she's like wait a minute why are lights on the stairs and uh, I got to play a bunch of music for her make loud sounds so a bunch of training so I have um asked for for two shifts for September just to get her used to the crowds the crazies all this stuff that's going to come I typically do three different jobs depending on where I'm asked to go I either work the door so scanning tickets I'll work behind the cash or uh, behind the bar. So before I was able to work behind the bar, I was only doing cash and tickets. So I thought, okay, I will use some of my time and I will take the course for SmartServe. I did, I passed and I said, Here's my certificate. So that was one more thing I could do. And I actually love it. And it's just, you know, it's, it's meeting people, seeing people. It's, it's my happy place, as I mentioned. And, you know, you get to do something in your community. And I know a lot of people out there that have epilepsy don't have jobs as well. And this is just something else to consider because sometimes people become hermits and that can lead to depression and they don't want to go outside, which is even worse. So for me... Having my service dog helps me get outside. So that that's good. And I force myself to go for a walk. I have a Garmin watch and you can earn badges. So I really push myself. I say, I'm going to earn this particular badge or these badges. And so I walk and I walk. And right now I can say train and train. And then next, oh no, this month, this month, it is September. We will be going back to the theater and volunteering. And that's, you know, sometimes can be stressful, but fun. And so... I just think, you know, to me, that's work. 
that's work. People are friendly. Sometimes you see the same people come back to the theater. And you can just greet them like, Oh, it's great to see you again. Or, How are you? Haven't seen you in a while. And it's, it's just so much fun. And maybe theater isn't everyone's thing. I know it's not. But maybe volunteering at a shelter or with animals, anything, volunteering at the library, reading the kids, it, it doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be several times a month. Maybe you do it once a month. Maybe you help out with wrapping gifts at, at Christmas, November, December kind of thing. Um, it do, doesn't really matter, but at least it gets you out there. And getting out compared to staying in is a lot better. I find being overly busy exhausts me. So I try to keep a bit of a balance in my life. Last couple of months have been incredibly crazy. Um, so, and I haven't really had much of a choice of that crazy, unfortunately. But I am looking forward to getting back into a balanced routine. Uh, minus a wedding coming up next month. So, life is what you make it. And I choose to live on the positive side. And, it, you know, it doesn't always happen, but I'm happy where I am, where I live. I'm happy with um, neighbors I have. I am happy that I'm, like, seven minutes from my drugstore, which is down the street, and I um, am familiar with a, a handful of the employees there. Things are always changing, new ones come along, but, you know, they, they know me. Um, I'm happy with theater. I just feel that if you look on the positive side, then life, life is good. So I just wanted to throw all of that out at you. I know it's a lot. Um, but I am totally willing to throw information out more so about epilepsy and coping mechanisms and things like that because it is so important to know how to be able to help yourself or how someone else can help you. Because I wasn't always in the happiest of places. And when you're not knowing where to get the help, it's so important. 
and I'm so grateful that I did because I might not be here today if I hadn't gotten the help that I did. And it didn't always seem like that at first. But in the long run, struggles, even really deep, hard ones, are lessons to us and a way of reaching out to others in the world and saying, I understand what you went through. I understand what you're going through. I know that there is help for you out there. I know it might seem dark right now, but things will get better if you are willing to let people help you and you will reach the light at the end of this dark tunnel. And your seizures may not ever go away, but there are ways to deal with them. Some people may never live alone. I'm very lucky that I do. So I just wanted to throw myself out here and say just because you have epilepsy does not mean you can't do what other people can do. You are capable of so much that you may not know that you're capable of. And whether it's just recording a podcast about your life, whether it's stepping out of the com- into the community, excuse me, stepping into the community because you never thought you could and trying something. Because I was very nervous when I volunteered at the theater. My mother used to, and I always used to think, oh my gosh, when is she coming home? But now I see how fun it is. And sometimes my role is also teaching others the jobs like the scanner of tickets and cash. And when I was in the theater with Cable uh, the last couple of days, I went over everything in my head because I know that I'm going to have forgotten skills over the summer. So I was actually quite lucky to be able to be in the theater and pretend to scan tickets and pretend to take cash and pretend to be having someone tap the debit machine or their Apple Watch or whatever. Um, And being in the theater, making noise, playing music and doing all this training with cable because it, it wasn't just training cable 
It was also retraining my brain. So, some people might not be able to get a service dog. It was over $36,000 for training, for cable. And some people may never live alone. Some people may never drive, like me. But just because you can't do certain things doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It just means finding alternative ways to do things. So whether that is walking, wheeling in your wheelchair, taking the bus, calling an accessible bus service or transit service of some kind, chats or whatever you have out there where you live, you can do it. It's not the end of the world. And I know some people think it is, but it's not. It's just a different way of finding alternative ways to get around, ways to live, ways to lift your spirit up, ways to say, I can do this. So I hope this has inspired you a bit and I hope to hear from you and maybe things that you hope to hear about and as I said I will throw things out there in the future about epilepsy tailored towards everyone, not just myself, but I mean, ideas and thoughts, everything out there, a little bit more detailed. So I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. I know it was a bit long, but I just wanted to say Yes, I have epilepsy. No, I'm not going to let it defeat me. And you shouldn't let it defeat you either.